Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. The majority of homes currently being built are bad for the earth, the occupants, and the builder's health. Every fortnight, join me, Jeffrey Hart, as I talk to designers, builders, makers, dreamers, and doers, exploring the wide world of sustainability in the built environment by talking to wonderful people who are doing excellent things. Whether you want to learn more about natural materials, are navigating your own self-build, or just want to know that better alternatives are out there, this is the podcast for you. Hello and welcome to episode 95. This is the second of two episodes with Shannon Berry. This one does kind of run on from the first episode, so you might be better off to listen to episode 94 first although they do relatively stand alone. Before we get into the episode, there's just time to say that if you would like to support this podcast, it is 100% independent, then head to patreon.com forward slash building sustainability. You can support for as little as you want per month, or if you sign up for £5 a month, then I will hand carve you a wooden spoon for you to eat your breakfast with. Any support is gratefully gratefully received it really does pay for my time to create this podcast promote it share it edit it record it all the things that go into a little hour chat that come, comes out as the uh, the product so in this episode with shannon uh we talk a bit about make it at market uh the bbc program if you are listening to this before the 20th of january 2023 then make sure to check out Shannon's episode on Make It to Market, BBC 4.30, also available on iPlayer. Uh, This episode, we talk about Make It at Market. We also talk about Shannon's diagnosis with dyslexia, dyspraxia, autism and ADHD. I'm going to read you a little snippet from her bio on her website under the heading Advocate for Acceptance and Understanding. Being recently diagnosed with dyslexia, dyspraxia, autism and ADHD, I've realized that I'm part of a world where neurodivergent people are stigmatized. I want to help change that narrative to promote acceptance and understanding towards how people like me process information and can be a voice for that community through my business and as a maker in general. As a maker, I want to have fun, explore, learn, and above all, create. It's taken me a long time to give myself permission to be creative and explore craft. I hope to inspire others to have a go and have fun while doing so. And that is why she's on the podcast. So expect lots of that chat in the following hour. Uh, just time to say there is a whole host of links in the show notes to various makers, to events that get discussed in this episode. 
So I'm back briefly at the end. Enjoy Shannon Berry. Some people might be listening to this podcast because they've just seen you on the telly. Yep. Uh, <laughs> What what are you doing? For anyone that hasn't seen it, what's what's your telly program? I'm on the telly box. And to be quite yeah. honest, I've watched the first five episodes and they're all pretty gentle. So I'm feeling quite good about it. That yeah, no one's been destroyed, have they? No, it's all very wholesome, which is exactly what I wanted. So yeah, let's see how it comes off. Um mm. what's, and- the, what's the program? <laughs> The program's called Make It at Market. It's a 15-episode pioneering pilot series of 30 different contributors making their hobbies or their passions into a small business. So there's everything from glass Craft-based. Yeah, exactly. Craft-based. So everything from glass blowers, blacksmiths, uh, willow weavers, and... Um, bowl turners bowl turners there's three of us is there yeah I've, uh, well I, I i saw mike the other day yeah mr scapper he was brilliant he was meant um, wasn't he it's very heartfelt yeah. i thought really heartfelt and he really delved into like the meaning and the uh the significance of everything i, mm, I really enjoyed that very very conscious um so yes explain explain what's happening in the show so the show is a period of time over a couple of months, so end of April to the start of July, where we turned up at Stonywell, which is a National Trust site, beautiful arts and crafts building and grounds. And is that Stoke Stoke area? Leicester. And as you can imagine, full bloom, absolutely beautiful, end of May, end of spring. And we showcased uh, three pieces. So a volume piece, something small that could be made within four hours, bread and butter type piece, a favourite piece, whatever significance that has to you, and a high-end piece. So something that takes longer or takes more material or whatever that means to you, whatever a high-end piece means to you. And I went on with three bowls as you can imagine, couple mm-hmm. with... Bowl turner, classic. Yep, and um, a couple of handles with a higher technical ability, showcasing that kind of side of things. My forms weren't my favourite in terms of... I In my practice, I think about form a lot. What shape I want things to be, what I can get out of the wood. Yeah, I think about the form a lot. So that kind of whittling down what I was going to do for those pieces took considerably less time than I thought it would because I was on a massive tight deadline for it and everything the whole way through felt like it needed to be done yesterday. That sounds like uh, TV. Yep. (laughs) And they were just like, oh yeah, you can just go down to this thing in like Oxford and showcase all the bowls that you have. And I was like, what, those bowls that take like six to eight weeks to make? Oh yeah, just... Two seconds. Ah. Well, I have to say, I mean, your episode, uh, we're recording this on the 7th of January. So your episode is out. On the 20th. 20th? Yep. B- BBC. Something? One. What time? 4.30. I only watch things online, so I don't. <laughs> All I know, iPlayer, press the button. Yeah, exactly. It will be available on iPlayer once it's aired. So for those... Great that do the streamers they'll be able yeah. to access it there but when i was watching mike uh do his power lathe turning it filled me with an immense amount of pride to see your lathe your pole lathe set up beside and it looks so good just like a beautiful, beautiful <laughs> thing i really loved seeing it and your axe block like oh yes Oh, thank you so much for saying that. I am immensely proud of my lathe. It's the first one that I ever built. And 
I made it with so many good intentions and such a steep learning curve. I didn't have a lathe whenever I applied to the show. So I applied in November of 2021. And I didn't find out until the end of March. So I then had right. four weeks to turn around building a lathe and get three bowls off of it that I was happy with. And that's kind of where the yesterday, like needing everything now came in. So I spent 10 days building this lathe. Again, went in kind of called to the bowl god of Matty Whitaker and was like, Matty, I've done this thing. I've got it. They've just told me, what do I need to do? <laughs> it was just like, <laughs> take this big slab of oak, <laughs> make that your base. I'd already eyed up a few older poles in the coppice. So I said, Ruth, you know those older poles? Could I have them? And she's like, yep, cool. We need to take them down anyway. Great. And then a big hazel rod for the top. And then we had a bit of sweet chestnut lying about from when Louis did his sweet chestnut coppice season in the South Downs. So I split that up into a few legs and it had this beautiful little knot in one of the quarters that I can put the spare tool when I'm not using it. Nice, right? (laughs) So That's a detail that everyone else will not really appreciate. But (laughs) (laughs) wood turners just across the country went, Oh, there's my big belly laugh. And (laughs) so, yeah, so I'm super excited by my lathe and I loved how it turned out. And it's it's my best friend now. It's just, like I was saying before about my happy place being that little point. It's like I walk into my workshop, which I didn't have before the show either. That kind of gave me the impetus to get a space for it. And it was more my neighbours kind of like, it all worked out, synchronicity and all that kind of stuff. The neighbours on my right-hand side was using it to store stuff that they had moved there three years ago when they moved house. And they kind of like used the springtime as a bit of a screen clear out. And then the space became available. So then the neighbours on the left-hand side kind of took a bit of pity on me turning out into the gales of Northumberland and wood ships like flying into my face as I was like turning in my back garden messing up all of the lawn because of all the shavings just killing off little little patches and everything and they were like uh do you uh want to use the stable across the road <laughs> I was like yes please <laughs> I've been eyeing it up <laughs> so I've now got a workshop space which I wouldn't have had if I hadn't done the filming experience and I had a mentor the whole way through. So it's not just kind of like film these amateurs going to like create a business. We were actually all given business mentor. Mine was Alice Blog, who is now an established. Yes. You. I've been following her work for ages. She Have is you? awesome. Oh, yeah. she's so lush. Yeah. How was she? Because she, I mean, she seems incredible. The work she turns out is just stunning. It's pristine, right? And what I really enjoyed about having Alice on my team was that it felt like that. She was just rooting for me every step of the way. And the first conversation we had was materiality and about sourcing wood and ethically sourcing wood from UK sources. And to the best of my knowledge, she had a part in picking who she was going to mentor as well as the producers and I think that ethos of working with Greenwood and the pure raw materiality that came through with the work that I was doing and why I was doing it and wanting to be able to engage with heritage craft in a contemporary way and wanting to carry on skills that we've been passing down for over 2000 years she was just in it she she knew why I was doing it before I even said a thing she just 
saw it and I was like, okay, you could probably see more about me than I actually know about myself right now. (laughs) (laughs) And that was just so refreshing. So refreshing. That's nice. That's really nice. Because I I mean, I, I wonder if it's the same for you, but so often I meet you, the average person, and I sort of explain what I do and why I do it. And they're just like, huh? what, what, why? Uh, so to, to get someone that, that is A, mentoring you and B, like totally. Yeah. Oh, I know. Right. So yeah, for a long time, I've just gone with the narrative of, I've just been dossing about because it's easier than trying to explain how ingrained my thinking is into the depth of knowledge that I'm trying to tap root into. There's a lot of people that just don't get it yet. And I say, yeah, mm. because they will. <laughs> <laughs> yes, once they've heard this. No, I'm joking. It's really just <laughs> like something that's become so significant and important in my life. I have a strong emotional attachment to that I really just want to be able to protect that ancestral connection and connection Mm -hmm. to nature that if I know someone's going to just use it as an opportunity to express their insecurity and attack it I'm just not going to go there yet don't don't rise to it just keep doing your thing exactly I'm just gonna just like actually I'm quite a hermit like some one of my friends did a human design on me and I'm a generator hermit or something I don't know human design I don't know what that means there's a oh I don't know if I know enough to tell you what it means maybe it's a bit too tangential it's massively tangential I'm just gonna flick the switch and make sure that it's charging my laptop two seconds okay yep I actually wanted to ask you loads of questions but my brain's not going there yet (laughs) ah okay well if they come back ask away Thanks. Did you? Oh, by the way, one thing I wanted to say that I totally forgot was uh, you're actually the first guest who is a patron of the podcast. And I just wanted to say thanks. You're welcome. (laughs) You got me through lockdown. So, babes, it's every penny worth it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And how's your spoon? Delicious. It fills me with joy. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was thinking about it. Your that spoon, you, one of your ones, uh, came from a batch when I was in the woods. Um, it was I think I talked about it on the podcast the other week, uh, where I had to move to the woods because I'd run out of money and, <laughs> and I was sort of sad about it, about sort of not living in my house. But then actually, suddenly realised I was in the woods. Just every day, I made stuff, and I just found the perfect flow and i had this beautiful walnut that was just like creamy to carve and just every spoon was coming out as like the best ever (laughs) i'm in my happy place and so you have you have that kind of you know down in a little object oh that's like the magic it's just so beautiful to hear where it's the magic you're you're you made the magic and I've got a bit of magic left. And it's like so important to me to have that. <laughs> I can't express it in any other way. Well, yes. Well, thank you. And everyone should become a patron for that very reason. <laughs> well, to be honest, I think everyone definitely could become a Patreon. Um, how do I express that in a way that, isn't ranty (laughs) I think the work that you're doing is absolute testament to everything that we've spoken about in terms of exploring sustainability and exploring community in a way that bypasses culture that absolutely is not accessible to a lot of individuals so I think that the work that you're doing is really important and I would love to hear more. So if anyone out there has the capacity to become a Patreon, please find the website, look at all the potential extra bonuses that you can get in all the amazing content that 
is accessible through Patreon and just do it. We'll be back after a quick break. If you're looking for all things BMX racing, you found the right podcast. Here at Lane 8 BMX Podcast, I'll speak to the local racer, the national racer, and even the Olympic level racer. I'm talking kids to the weekend warriors and much more. So get comfortable, turn up the volume, and remember to snap on green. I'm having a big old blush. Uh, thank you that's oh is that all right for a sound bite yeah cool (laughs) crazy thanks you're welcome um right anyway we were talking about make it at market yeah try and regain some composure make it at market what do you want to know about it I guess, I mean, one thing that I found interesting and is a common topic around our, in our sort of world, is pricing. Oh, no, Jeffrey. How on earth do you put value, like financial value, on your time and the skills that you've learnt and all the things you have to do to make a bowl? And it's a, it's a common thing I've seen in the, the Make It a Market is some people wildly overestimating the value of the thing and some people underestimating it. Pricing is really difficult to the point that it needs to become quantifiable. And then even when you make it quantifiable, you don't want to charge anything. (laughs) So what I've done is give myself a rough estimate on the time that it takes to make things look at the running costs of having a workshop potentially buying tools going to workshops to learn new things continual professional development anything that you would get in a conventional career I was kind of looking at that kind of holistic give myself one course a year give myself the opportunity to go and do a chainsaw course so that I don't have to wait for someone to get home to be able to cut the wood up that I need to use on the lathe right so then it's looking at your hourly rate and thankfully being self-employed for the past five years I have had to go through the creating a service providing a service putting a price point on that service as to my skills and experience level and the job that I'm doing and the clients that I'm working for right and even with all that experience I still feel like having an hourly rate on what I'm doing isn't enough because I'm looking at other makers and I'm doing that comparison as the thief of joy right and I'm doing that comparison thing of oh, but the guys that are at the top of their field aren't charging half as much as I would for the bowl that I'm pricing at this much with all this entailed and, 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 right? So pricing's really difficult. (laughs) (laughs) And I've got to my prices with the aid of a bit of business mentoring and then I changed them and I've gone back to Alice. The actual advice that I got from Alice was do workshops, you're never really going to make much money from your bowls. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. Interesting. I mean, I think I would say that of the makers that I know, most of them teach workshops. And have a second job. Yeah. What's his name? Um, He was chatting to us at Northern Bowl, Greenwood Chairs. But he, so he, uh, whatever his name is, Duckmanton, Rob. Well done, you. Get in. Oh, I just remembered duck. (laughs) (laughs) Good bit um, of association. Well done. (laughs) So Rob Duckmanton saying that he would rather, or in fact he does, uh, he does like prepping um, vegetables for for a a pub chef. Yeah. Uh, You know, it does a few hours a day or something like that so that he doesn't have to teach workshops. I'm not 
able to teach workshops at the minute and because of that I'm having to work in a corner shop just to kind of make ends meet because everything that I'm doing is seasonal and job-based like project-based yeah so does that mean that Shannon Berry nature uh workshops will be available soon workshops available on my website hopefully as my website launches before my show airs on the 20th okay so when this goes out maybe people should check back in a week (laughs) (laughs) yeah for sure like yeah amazing I've built my own website that's what's come out of the show as well is that amongst being my own accountant bookkeeper graphic designer marketing guru maker sourcer extraordinaire I built my website and it was really challenging and I've spent so much time on it and what's been really challenging is knowing what to put on it in terms of information I want a whole page dedicated to woodlands and where people can access courses like woodland pioneers or weekend in the woods or bowl gathering or Spoonfest or that kind of like gateway environment to connecting with community and the people that are practicing heritage craft i look forward to seeing that thanks i look forward to seeing it too i have done my workshops <laughs> page though my shop's pretty much there i've got one for one photo to find for demonstrations which is just a little place and most of it i think is going to be just getting in contact with me just i'm not expecting the world out of the show to be perfectly honest i'm in contact with quite a lot of the contributors and they've all had different responses and no one is ever going to be able to predict even the executive directing producer was like we've never done this before we don't know what's going to come out of it and that's great because it's just an opportunity to have a different conversation i've been having loads of conversations about neurodiversity and craft and sustainability and culture and community for years now so it's hopefully going to just be a continuation however please I will say now be patient with me there's only one of me and I find liaising through email as most self-employed outdoorsy people do quite an ask sometimes and sometimes it's amazing it will just depend on what part of my cycle I'm on as well (laughs) So please be patient with me. <laughs> um, who are your bowl inspirations? Oh, great question. Starting off with Matty Whitaker. Of course. The one and only. Oh, blue eyes. <laughs> Gentle soul, that is Mr. Matty Whitaker. And mm-hmm. mainly down to his ethos and his skills and his ability He's got this jug that I still haven't asked him how he made it. I will one day. And so humble. Such a great guy. Mm-hmm. And Amy Leek, I think I've already mentioned, Woodmangler. She has been very generous with her time to me. And I actually went and visited her and did a workshop with her when we were living in the South Downs. Oh, nice. I went to her house when I was on my cycle trip. Nice. She put me up for the night. Um, yeah her lovely yeah, little backyard great um, space <laughs> set up yeah yeah so that's men and then I went and turned with Sharif Adams at the bowl gathering and studied locking those boxes um which was just amazing but I, don't, I often so see people many. post like oh I've just turned this locking lidded box and I don't think people really understand. You can't really convey how clever and intricate and mad that you're turning this on a lathe, like a thing that fits in itself and you know the lid locks in. It's solid. It's secure. It comes apart. It's doing all the things that a jam jar does, but you've just made it out of a lump of wood. Yeah, it's it does the thing. It's such a high level of precision and also there's one specific part where the lathe works back on itself and 
what I mean by that is whenever you're treadling on a lathe, you're pushing down on a piece of string that comes up and wraps around a piece of wood, a circular piece of wood that's attached to this block that you're turning and then goes up to something that springs back and it oscillates, right, back and forward. And as it goes forward is when you cut, when you have the resistance against the tool. So you've got this mad mechanised way of working already and then you reverse it, flip it and reverse it, shove a different tool that you've never used before in this bit of wood that you can't see into. Mental. Which is like, so when you push down, it turns away from you and you've got this tiny little hook that you're scraping like you would rev a motorbike and you're literally just doing this tiny little rev movement, which is scraping the underside of the lip, which is part of what Sharif calls a gallery, which is like part of the locking mechanism, that if you undercut too much, the hours of work that you've put in up until that point, you may as well have just turned a bowl. You've just undercut the most important part to this locking mechanism. And it's something that still boggles my mind I actually went and turned with Matt for a couple of weeks after the ball gathering and made um some locking lidded hook tools which are even more specified than the hook tools that you use to make a bowl on his forge using charcoal which again I love the full circle ethos that he has to his work using charcoal made from wood to make the tools out of old car springs or cast or types of steel that are recycled and upcycled to make the bowls to eat the things and it's all just beautiful so this whole systems thinking goes into making these tools but then the tools themselves are so interchangeable as the shape that you make on the lathe so for example we made a nesting hook as well as the locking loaded boxes and the nesting hook is specific to a diameter of bowl that you then undercut to make another bowl inside the bowl which I haven't figured out yet and I will at some point and I spoke to Steve Ridd he would be another inspiration of mine and he just completely allowed my whole body to relax about it in terms of the nesting and not getting it quite right and trying to teach myself. He spent months learning how to do this little thing. It's not little, but it's like a small part of the process. And I was just like, oh, if he doesn't get it (laughs) straight away, that doesn't mean that I won't, (laughs) but it's highly unlikely that I won't. (laughs) So, yeah. Oh, there's so many people that inspire me. Oh, yeah. It's kind of hard to pick individual inspirations, isn't it? Because the community as a whole is an inspiring thing. It is. Um, It is. And the coming together with just the express intention of sharing and, you know, no one's like looking after their uh, intellectual property and, you know, with, with a special way they make a cut or something. It's like, I do this. Have a go. Exactly. There's as many people are as there are ways of doing things. And that is just a blanket accepted part of the community is that what I do may not suit you. However, there is no one way of doing things. So this is how I do it. And maybe if that helps you in some way of how to position your body or how to source your word or whichever way that may be, there is just this open ethos mentality as long as you're willing to share and learn, you're in, basically. And I think I was chatting to Flo that's been on the podcast, Hamer, um, over a message while she's in Sweden. And <laughs> we were literally just having this exchange of just awe, like how cool it is to be in part of this community and how amazing it is to have so many people that if you just message, like Jeff Hannes has been amazing where I've just sent him a couple of sentences, just a couple of questions where I'm like, oh, I'd have this thing. And Yoav actually has done the same thing where I've messaged them and just been like, I've got this thing drying where I dried in summer didn't work. What do I do now? And they were like, 
this is a massive list of all the things you could be considering in your environment that you need for the optimum drying temperature. What I do is this. What you could try is this. Where do you get that in any other industry? Like it's it's mad, isn't it? Yeah, truly. I mean, it's truly, truly wonderful. And I think you know, the the last uh, sort of five or so years as I've burrowed deeper into the green woodworking community, just I they're the best people I've ever met. Yeah, and they're the people that make me feel most at home and comfortable and welcome. Yeah, it's just like I love them. <laughs> I want to. I want to go on to say it's just like a big family, but <laughs> <laughs> it is though. It is. <laughs> We're gonna follow this this sort of thinking. Uh, so you're back to the show slightly. Um, I don't know how to sort of say it. It seems like every um, person on the show has a sort of sob a little story. hook, a little, uh, what do you say? Sob story. That was the exact word I wrote down. And then I sort of underlined it with a question mark after it. <laughs> uh, can we say that? <laughs> um, yeah. Sorry. Are I you completely allowed to talk about you? That was perfect. That's fine. <laughs> what's, um, so what's your sob story? <laughs> My sub story is that I am neurodivergent or classed with learning disabilities. I, nice. Yeah, I've been recently. Is that, that, is that the right response? <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> For me, it is. This is the thing. For me, it is because, as I alluded to before, there's been 12 to 4 years of unpicking and. As with most people that are late diagnosed with any kind of learning disability that I have spoken to, there has been so many little blind spots or unanswered questions that have just followed us within our own existence. And as soon as someone says, oh, these are all the things that you struggle with. OK, well, this could be this. And it just opens a whole door of exploration where you find people that have similar thought processes and similar ways of coping with things that have come from scarcity rather than abundance for me it's been a massive journey that I've been fortunate enough to go along with my sister she's okay and she's just been recently diagnosed with autism as well so we both have dyslexia dyspraxia autism and ADHD the quifecta and probably some OCD (laughs) chucked in there for a bit of spice right <laughs> um, and was was your sister the cause of your your sort of diagnosis because i i heard i've read that a lot it's like late stage diagnoses quite often come from like your child getting diagnosed or someone you know so what actually was the initiation energy for my dyslexia assessment was the fact that I came back from traveling 10 weeks after a year-long planned trip with very little resources because we'd sold the car gave up the room in the shared house to go traveling and it all kind of went to pop once the big C hit and when I came back I was like right I'm going to use this as an opportunity to follow my passion into woodland management and craft I'm just going to do the thing I was set up at my partner's family's place in Northumberland I had this beautiful growing space with all the veggies and I was applying to woodland management trainee jobs and what I knew that I could have a conversation with someone in about an hour's worth of information and just info dump and have all this specialist conversation and to things that I already knew through my hobbyist exploration took me about three to four weeks to write down and I was like hold on cotton picking like there's something going on here and then I bought this book that had extraordinarily obnoxious white pages and I couldn't read it because I was like okay new start new me I'm gonna get into reading right so I bought this book about Irish mythology and folklore And I couldn't read it because the words were like unfocused. I knew that I didn't need reading glasses because years and years and years, I went back every six or 12 months and said, have my eyes changed? Because I can't see anything. Like, 
everything's blurry. And then I bought an overlay. Bearing in mind, my dad was dyslexic from day naught, but didn't get diagnosed through his work until he was the age of 40. And he was like, use an overlay, Shan. Like, just order an overlay. And I ordered this piece of coloured acetate, put it on the page and started crying. It was that moment that I was like, rang my dad and I was like, I'm dyslexic. And he was like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He was like, yeah. And what? We've known since you were doing A-level English literature. I was like, oh, nobody told me. (laughs) Was that information not not deemed useful for you? Exactly. Well, it's just that I was coping. Right. It didn't look like a barrier because it didn't make it a barrier. Because I had this internalised ableism that I must work harder and I must do the things that everyone else is doing because I was capable. But in reality, I was just working harder and burning myself out. Going back to younger family members finding out about their things. So I was kind of happy knowing about the dyslexia and dyspraxia. And then I went into another research rabbit hole with autism and ADHD because my sister was having her assessment and it just ticked all the wrecks to the boxes and opened up light to all of the different blind spots that I had left so yeah now I'm fully diagnosed as having complex learning disabilities and uh the world is better for that your world is better for that my world is viewed through a lens in which I have much more understanding and acceptance another thing my dad would say to me was you can never judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree i'm just going to say that again for the ones at the back you can't judge a fish on its ability to climb a tree like it's really important to know that there's a lot of people that are not suited to learning in our current academic environment and getting into craft for me and being able to give myself permission to work with my hands has been absolutely life-changing. Yeah, that's all I want to say about that. <laughs> I mean, that uh, I, that was sort of the, the... I had a question back about the architect thing, about whether, whether you felt like you had the opportunity to do something non-academic. And, it, yeah, it's very much based on my my own experiences, like growing up i just wanted to make things all i did was make things you know banging together bits of wood with a nail and like you know loving it and they went oh you know you like that you should do a product design degree where you sit and work at a computer and you know you sort of had to go down that you were funneled down an academic route because uh you know you're intelligent therefore you've got to go do the intelligent thing i think this is really paramount to where skills like I'm talking about and working with your hands and working with the land like hoi it's honestly some of the most important work that we do to be able to sustain ourselves with food to be able to live in the shelter that we do to be able to strip it back to pure basics these are some of the most important jobs and because they aren't valued in such a way that allows them to have any kind of accessibility in affordable living costs. And I feel like there's a better way that I can say that. So Jamie, who's a friend of the podcast, um, he was telling me the other day that he did a job. uh, It was a garden show and he did all this heritage lime plastering and stuff. And at the end of the show, he was just sort of like neatening something up. And this old lady came up and said, oh, did you did you design this this uh, wonderful garden? And he went, oh, no, no, I made it. And she went, oh, turned and walked off. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my heart is broken for them. Oh, I'm so sorry, Jamie. That's <laughs> just like heart wrenching that you've like... And I've heard you speak about it before, that you put your heart and soul into making houses and then you give them over, right? 
just to have a bit of recognition for that would be mint like <laughs> just a small plaque yeah just like i made this <laughs> enjoy <laughs> i think there needs to be more value in working with hands and in architecture we were encouraged to to an extent we were encouraged to go and make things like installations like i went to an architecture students assembly which is basically 500 architecture students from around Europe just descend onto a village or town that is usually subseding um, the city of culture. And it was just chaos, like loads of people just getting involved and doing things. And I went and did a metal workshop just to kind of, push myself to work with a new material I knew I was comfortable with wood I knew I liked the sounds of wood I really don't like working with metal as much mainly because of the sound and texture and that's where the sensory stuff comes in um so personally I push myself to go and do things with my hands and I talk with my hands all the time I'm pretty expressive and I'm around people that make things and do things in the community that I have at home so I think I've just put myself into those environments, whereas before I wouldn't have necessarily been encouraged. It's a sort of a, a thing that we've we've definitely talked about at uh, various green woodworking events, that if you're sort of tuned in a little bit to, to neurodivergent ways, being at a green woodworking event feels a little bit like a neurodivergent holiday camp. <laughs> and you... <laughs> And you're looking around at people like hyper focusing on on this thing, uh, whatever particular thing it is. Um, like, do you, well, first of all, do you think that's fair? And well, we'll start with that. I was speaking to someone from the Heritage Association, and they suggested whenever I was speaking to them that there could be umpteen dissertations written on the link between neurodiversity and craft interesting you are looking at a specific skill and that hyper focusing for any like if you've gone into anything in terms of the way that those types of brains works having blocks of period where you go into detail about a specific interest that chases the dopamine down this hole like when you look at craft it presents itself in such a neat package where you've got a skill you can learn information that you kind of got to dig out and find either through connection with people and I think that's an underlying part of the community is that you've got this base of common interest that you don't have to fabricate through small talk amazing and then you've also got these different kind of like intellectual gifts or like pieces of knowledge that you can just pebble and give to people and receive and there's all sorts of parts of connection there which wouldn't necessarily be available if you didn't have that stream of craft flowing through it and then you've got the context, man. Like, you've got the amount of information that has been passed down through thousands of different interactions and lots of different elements of gatherings and things that are just innately human that appeals to folk that have a hard time connecting with society. It's just kind of made up for us. <laughs> so taking adhd this discussion i've had with many people the yeah. fact that it's called a disorder i think upsets uh some people um and instead it's sort of you know a different way of thinking to say it's a disorder means that it's not i guess right um where am i going with this question I've totally lost myself in Can I say something? a little detail. Yeah, please do. Or do you want to go back to the detail? <laughs> no, I've lost it. 
cool. It'll come back. It'll circle back. It comes in loops. So I think that you've hit on something. To say that some a certain specific way of processing information is a disorder highlights how broken we are as a society, in my opinion. In my experience, what there's been a quota uh, released, I can't remember which university it is, for a specific number of neurodivergent people because the employer body of that university have realised that those are the people that are wanting to come in because they're doing the things that interest them and not get involved in office politics or wanting to waste time to just get paid. They're wanting to just come in and do the job, basically. And that's not a slander to anyone because, to be perfectly honest, I think neurodiversity or neurodivergent as a term will become outdated as our thinking evolves around this topic. As you've just said, and as I allude to a lot, it's just a way of thinking and a way of processing information. We are in our infancy and in understanding how the brain processes information. And the fact that with autism spectrum disorder has been denoted as a low to high functioning spectrum for a long time is completely obtuse in that it's further from the truth as possible that was an idea that was introduced by a psychologist to describe the type of support needs that someone might have and how that how someone's disability might affect others whereas looking at a spectrum it's more like a color wheel with different arms and it turns into a spider web in terms of like sensory issues or Um, executive functioning which is like a large topic or social skills or a certain number of different things that you've got to meet in terms of the criteria and I think it's just part of a human experience and something that's been highlighted to me the whole way along this process are people saying oh yeah but everyone everyone thinks like that everyone feels like that sometimes everyone and it's like I understand that everyone does because it is part of the human experience. However, I know for a quantifiable fact that my sensitive is more hearing than most people. So something that might not even register in your experience of the world will send me do lally if I sit in a room with an electrical current bouncing off some kind of adapter that's making a high-pitched sound that's reaching the point of my tinnitus that I can't sit in that room. Makes me really uncomfortable. No one's going to know that until I tell them. And if I do, they'll be like, oh, hooray, I can't hear it. What are you talking about? So it's that kind of acceptance that what people say that they're experiencing is what they experience, even if it's not your reality. Mm -hmm. Where's my accent going? I don't know. I told you to know that when you, you stood up and did a talk at uh, Woodland Pioneers was the first time I went, oh, she's Irish. So I've never known. Talking to a group, you're Irish. I was like, oh, Shannon. Oh, yeah, that's quite an Irish name, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, did I tell you the story about my sister? When I sent her the clip for the show, she was like, I've been really worried about what I look like. She was like, Shannon, I'm really excited. You look fine. I was like, oh, great. And then she went, but um, what voice did you use? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I don't know. There was someone behind the camera that was Irish and then there was someone that was from the West Country and uh, whoever was there, that's what I used. (laughs) Um, I've remembered. I've remembered the question. Oh, great. Uh, Yeah. Disorder, the D in ADHD disorder, uh, some people would describe it as uh, a superpower. Like, you know, the ability to focus in on a thing Mm. and lose everything else. Um, How do you think that 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 ability has helped you in your craft or just in your journey? It's kind of double-edged for me. That focus that I was talking about before is something that I've had to learn because... Mm. As we were saying, it's so exciting 
whenever you realise there's this whole world that is just accepting and accessible and you can go down and learn all these different skills. For me, I just want to learn everything. And that interest in everything has been really valuable to have some such transferable skills. Mm-hmm. So like working with community groups and working in woodlands and gardening and tools and all the things. Um, so that variability and seeking variety has been really useful. I guess there's like, there's also a part of me that's just constantly seeking to connect, even though I recharge quite a lot as a hermit, doing things by myself, wanting to understand other people's perspectives and other people's knowledge has been really interesting. The hyper-focus I probably have but don't (laughs) recognise because there's so many other things that are much more prominent in my life (laughs) in terms of the way that my brain distracts me. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's, it's it's the fine finish in the turning. Maybe that's you to to keep focused yeah. to make very very tiny incremental movements yeah i've realized that i think a lot in shape and color i think a lot in doing and that's been glorious to explore i love that i can go do in the work that i'm doing Adams. Steve Ridd, Flo Hamer, Jeff Hannis, Yoav, a few of those have got episodes on this podcast and I will link to those as well in case you haven't heard their wonderful words. Um, I think that is just about all for me. Uh, Just time to request that if you have listened to this episode right to the end, you're part of the A-team, why don't you share it on your social medias and just say one thing that you really enjoyed and we can share the goodness of Shannon's lovely words uh, to more people. If you want to support the podcast, you'd be my hero. Uh, You get a shout out on the next podcast. You also get to see a tour of my tiny house and you get nine hours of bonus content and snippets from other conversations. Plus you get the warm, warm glow of helping this podcast to uh, continue being made. Uh, Yeah. Head to patreon.com forward slash building sustainability. Link in the show notes. Uh, that is just about it. Uh, we're on episode 95. It feels like we should do something spectacular for episode 100. Uh, maybe you've got an idea of someone that you would like on the podcast. 
send me a message through social media or through the website buildingsustainabilitypodcast.com. Yeah, suggest a guest um, and we'll try and make it happen for episode 100. Other than that, I hope you're enjoying January and I'll be back in a couple of weeks. All right. See ya. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.